Hey everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Brad and I'm one of the pastors at CA Church Town Center. Uh, it is great to be with you again today via, via your computer or, or your TV. And I want to say I, I do look forward to seeing you in person at our campus soon. For those of you who don't know, we've been, we've been looking at the letter uh, of the Apostle Paul uh, written while he's in prison for proclaiming Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, and he sees this as an opportunity to write to the churches he's planted. So he writes to a small city uh, called Philippi in what would be modern day Greece. Uh, and it's a, it's a letter of joy, it's a letter of encouragement, but the, the main theme that Paul wants to give to this church is the humility of Jesus. And that this humility is not only the way of our salvation, it's also the way in our salvation. It's not only Jesus' humility in taking on human form and dying on a cross as a sacrifice for humanity's sin, but he lifts it up as a way that we're called to live as those that he saved that way. So at the center of the letter is a, this beautiful Christ hymn in, in Philippians uh, 2, verses 5 to 11, or, or also known as a Christ poem, that shows uh, what we've called the canonic, that's Greek, this canonic self-emptying life of Jesus for you and I and all who claim him as their Savior. So today we're going to look at Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11. So grab your Bibles or you can go to cachurch.info and you can follow there, look up Sermon Notes Town Center. And you can see all the notes on there as, as we walk through. But let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Paul writes this. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. I knew, I knew the law better than anybody. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. But Paul says that's okay. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like, like him in his death. And so, somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The word of God to us this morning. When I was in elementary school, I remember whenever the, the bell would ring for recess, the schoolyard would explode with card games. And, and not card games like Go Fish or, or Crazy Eights, but hockey card games. And some of you might remember this, games to, to, to collect and gather more cards than others. And, and if you did this in your school, uh, you'll know some of these games, games like Farthies and Knockdowns, all done so that you could win more cards. And I remember going through other kids' cards like it was draft season and saying, got it, got it, got it, need it, got it, got it, need it. Comparing what, what I had with others' collections and then seeing the card 
The, the one I was willing to trade all of my cards for. And I would put together an, a, kind of this offering of my decrepit, torn cards, worn out cards, in order to trade in for that glossy, hard to find one in hopes of attaining it. Well, in Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11, Paul is saying, trade in your collection. Everything you've compiled, trade them in. Why? Because some of them are not only blinding you to the beauty of a full acceptance of the gospel, some of them are actually doing damage to you. They are actively keeping you from life. See, what, what the gospel does and, and what pursuing Jesus does, it shows us that the things we think are super great are not as great as we might think they are. But the other beautiful thing about the gospel is that it tells us that, that the things that we think are really low are not as defining as we've been made to believe they are. He starts off by saying, further, my brothers, as he does this transition, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. So it's important to realize this is not just a throwaway statement that Paul is giving. Just rejoice in the Lord. It's a warning. This is, this is kind of a doorway to his next topic, which is not a new topic, but it's connected to everything as Paul has already been saying uh, to the Philippians in this letter. He says, don't rejoice in what you have collected, rejoice in Christ. And it seems like this is not the only time Paul has had to give this kind of, of warning. And, and it's a warning for those who, who draw strong lines of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Those who say, uh, who is in and who is out. Yeah, you can come to Jesus, but you need to do this, this, and this. This is how you dress, this is how you talk. There are extras. This is what some call the Jesus and gospel. Paul says, your joy and your acceptance are in the Lord and not in yourself. So stop adding to the gospel. The invitation of Philippians 3, 1 to 11 is to, to trade what you can do for what he has already done. Trade in what you can do or what you think you can accomplish for what Christ has already accomplished. Now, Paul's had to deal with this in other churches as well. If you've, if you've read Paul's letter to the Galatians, that's almost what the entire letter to the church in Galatia uh, was about. In, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, Paul says, You foolish Galatians, so it starts off well, uh, who has bewitched you, who's tricked you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After, after beginning by means of the Spirit, this free gift, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh, by what you can accomplish in the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by, you, or by your believing what you heard? In other words, Paul is saying, you were welcomed into the community of Jesus, not because you followed rules or, or impressed God or, or the church or the religious leaders, but because you are loved and you are pursued. Why would you trade that in now and make it about following rules? It's often an issue within the Christian community as well. When, when I was young and I, I used to go to, to Playland in Vancouver, my dad would, would pay for me to go in and, and part of that was I was given a wristband to cover all the rides. And then I was in and I could wander around within Playland and enjoy the roller coaster and the octopus and the bumper cars and all that, all that kind of stuff, the zipper, whatever they were called. But once I was in, I didn't have to pay at every ride because my dad covered the entire thing when we first entered. Well, imagine how angry my dad would be if some imposter set up a booth next to each of these rides and demanded that I pay for each of them. 
after he had already paid the full cost that covered everything. Well, that's kind of like Paul. He's like, why are you setting up extra roadblocks to the gospel? Why are you setting up requirements and asking people to give more than Jesus has already done, that he's already taken care of? Since the beginning of the church, there have, there have been those who build booths and, and demand more from you than what Jesus ever has. Those who demand a Jesus and gospel. This has been happening since the beginning of the church. And Paul, Paul's not a fan of people meddling with God's grace. Paul, who experienced God's grace in such a powerful way, he has some, well, powerful words for those people who set up barriers to God's grace. Uh, words like dogs. He calls them evildoers, mutilators of the flesh, literally butchers of the flesh. So who's Paul so upset with? Well, he's upset with those in the church who are trying to impose old Jewish law, Jewish rules on new believers in the church in Philippi. Old covenant rules into the new covenant established between God and man through Jesus Christ. And Jesus made it clear that he was establishing something new through his, his life, death, and resurrection. That a life that belonged to God was, was manifest through daily obedience. That the, the ultimate sacrifice to end all sacrifices was already made in his body. And that life is found in following the one who gave death itself a death blow. Some of you will remember that when, when Christ cried out his last words before his death on the cross, the veil in the temple in Jerusalem, which for centuries had signified the separation of a holy God and an unholy people, it was torn in half from top to bottom. The separation was broken down by the sacrificial death of Jesus the Christ. The work was done that brings you and I into his community, open not only to the Jewish nation, but to all. So in the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 15, verses 37 to 39, this is how it describes Christ's death. It says, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. And this is interesting. And when the centurion, who, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. It's interesting that, that the gospel that Mark records, that he records it in this way. Jesus dies. The veil tears open from top to bottom, and the first person to proclaim his divinity is a Roman centurion. That, that's not by accident. The proclamation of a Roman centurion shows what the death of Christ signified for all of humanity, an entrance for you and I and all who call him Lord to be welcomed in to this new community that was created by his death, not, meant not only for the Jewish nation, but for all of humanity. So Paul is, gets he gets a little ticked. He get, he, he's fighting for the Philippians to keep this at the forefront because there are some in their midst trying to convince them that they need to continue in the old ways that make people feel like they were in and others pe people made it feel like they, they were out. Now, now I get it. it. We often overlook this fact, but it, it must have been hard for those who, who had grown up following uh, the, the Jewish religious law to all of a sudden be told, no, you don't, you don't have to worry about that anymore. To, to follow faithfully and have a, for, for centuries and then have a new people show up who you used to call dogs, who you used to call evildoers, uncircumcised, and now you're supposed to welcome them into the family of God. It was not only hard because it was what they were used to, it was also a point of pride. There were boasting rights that went along with obeying the law. We've been following Yahweh for centuries and now these guys just show up, they're welcomed in, they're, 
there has to be some sort of spiritual hierarchy. So Paul throws back at the religious Jews, the very, the very names that they normally would have called non-Jews, dogs, evildoers. He calls them butchers of the flesh, literally, mutilators of the flesh. Demanding circumcision is a sign of belonging to God. He says, there's no need for that. God is doing a work inside us, has done a work inside us through his spirit. Our significance is not about what can be done to our body, but what has been done to Jesus' body. But hey, if you want to flex muscles, this is where this text gets very interesting. Paul kind of, you can kind of see him like a boxer, loosening up. If you, go, if you want to flex muscles, if you want to go toe-to-toe, let's do this thing. Paul's next challenge is, is for you and I to trade our accomplishments for Christ's accomplishments, for his accomplishments. And Paul had some accomplishments. He had quite a resume. And you can kind of see him pushing back on these religious leaders. You think you, you have the corner on righteousness? Verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So it's almost like, you know, the music from Rocky comes on. Dun, 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 dun. Or Eye of the Tiger. It's the... Okay, I won't do it. Eye of the Tiger. Okay, I won't do it. And, and Paul is like, let's do this. Let's do this. And I can almost see him entering the arena and the lights are on him. In verses 5 to 6, circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Everybody, the apostle Paul, weighing in, well, he probably wasn't weighing in very well because he was probably malnourished in the, in the prison. But that, that's the point. I have followed the rules since I was eight, Paul is saying. I've been following the law since I was eight. I speak the language. I pushed and, and practiced the law better than anyone. I was a protector and a promoter of everything Jewish. And if you're wondering, was I zealous? I used to persecute the church. I looked on while, they, while Christians were being killed with a smile. When people looked at me, they thought, this guy is faultless. Everyone saw a poster child for what it meant to follow Yahweh. In other words, all the things that you are trying to do to the church by forcing the old, let's be honest, misfitting ways on the new life offered through Jesus, I used to do that. But here's the kicker. In, in every category of righteousness that you use, I'm stronger. But I don't even care anymore. All those things I once cared about, they belong in the trash. I, I want to trade them in. Because they're, they're all about me and now I'm all about him. My righteousness, my, my salvation, my, my, my pursuit of salvation, it was all about what I could pull off. My worth was found in my ability to follow rules because I was my own savior and that was a heavy burden. We were never called to be our own saviors. But I now find my worth, my strength, my salvation from sin, death, myself, I find it in Christ. Verse 7 of Philippians 3, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider it loss. They used to mean so much, but now I consider them lost for the sake of Christ. Now notice what Paul declares here. He says, for the sake of Christ, meaning I, I think it's worth it in light of the mission of Jesus that I am now a part of. But that isn't all. I, I'll give it all up to be a part of this mission, but that isn't all. 
We don't give up everything for the sake of the gospel and the mission. We give up everything for more of Jesus himself. So Paul invites us to trade in our everything for more Jesus. Because your everything does not compare to more Jesus. Verse 8, he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them trash, garbage, that I may gain Jesus. And I'll just let you know the word in Greek for garbage is worse than garbage. <laughs> it's like ancient swearing. <laughs> everything I spent my life pursuing that I thought equaled everything equals trash. It's nothing compared to just knowing Jesus, to being in relationship with, with Jesus. I will gladly empty myself of myself and all I have ever gained in the world's eyes for more Jesus. And I am found in him. I thought I was found. I had purpose in my pursuits. Now I realize that, I, that I'm found when I give everything up. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, we have it backwards, especially in the Western world. We think that if we, if we follow what the world offers and then leave a little room for Jesus, that's called Christianity. We just sprinkle a little Jesus on top and we'll have a balanced life. But as I've said before, Jesus is not the gravy on top. He's the plate that holds the meal. That's why Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. Again, in Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Everything else finds its right place when Christ is at the center. Some people wonder, even though they have everything, why they feel dislocated and disconnected from God. And when I say everything, I mean everything. <laughs> Often it's a result of building our lives upside down or building our lives backwards, upside down. We, we have placed the stuff that is meant to be extras on the top and we've made them the foundation of our lives. We've replaced the solid ground of the gospel for fluff and the finite. See, before that was Paul. The stuff that was placed as a foundation was what he could accomplish and what he could wear as a badge of honor to show how religious and, and, and perfect he was. Rather than be a response to God's love, it replaced God's love and tried to take center stage. And now all Paul wants, all he desires is more Jesus. And so his faith, literally his allegiance belongs to Jesus. Paul says in verse nine, I want to be found in him. If you're looking for me, I'm found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The right kind of living, the right relationship with God that comes from faith. The word faith is often uh, misused and misunderstood. For Paul, faith was active. It wasn't just a feeling or a belief. It was an active, animated allegiance to Jesus. And that really meant something in the first century when allegiance was only meant to be given to the emperor. Paul's saying, I'm going to align my life to the life of Jesus. That is how I know him more. Not through rules and regulations, but by a heart that seeks to obey in response to his great love for me. I want to know the life that his resurrection has jump-started. I want to be empowered by the truth of his resurrection, but I also want to participate in his suffering. Why? Why? Why does Paul say stuff like that? It makes it so difficult. Well, for Paul, facing death in prison, he wanted to represent Jesus well, his Savior 
Well, and whatever that path, and, and you feel as though Paul isn't completely sure throughout this letter whether he's actually going to make it out of prison and see his readers again. But whatever the path, he wants to be faithful all the way to the end. Now, how can someone say that? Regardless of what comes, I'm going to follow Jesus. Well, because Paul always had one foot in the mud of a prison and one in the larger story of God. The full story. And that's what he invites you and I to and, in, and the readers of of the letter to the Philippians. We need to find our story in his story. Paul's saying, I don't know how it's all going to look, but I'm going to get the promised prize of resurrection. I don't know what, how exactly that path's going to look, but I am looking forward to that. In verses 10 to 11, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead more and more. I, I, more and more Jesus. I, I want more and more Jesus in my life. In, in persecution, more Jesus. In church planting, more Jesus. In my missionary work, more Jesus. In suffering, more Jesus. In death and through death into resurrection, where I get all of Jesus, I'm going I'm to continue to follow him all the way through. See, Paul had a strong sense of where everything was headed. He had a strong sense of the larger story. You, 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 you read this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Now, Although resurrection is, is the promise of the gospel for those who follow Jesus, that those who are followers of Jesus will be resurrected just like he was, many people actually don't really find comfort in the idea of resurrection. Most people are just like, I'll take the cloud and the sky and the, the robe and you know, the wings and the harp, whatever, but, but a body, bodies are gross. And, and part of that is because we've accepted a lie that it's actually not Christian at all. That, that the physical world is evil and, and only the spiritual world is good. That is not a Christian idea. That's actually an ancient idea that comes from a group that were called the Gnostics, that matter is bad and only the spiritual is good. But God created the physical world and loved it, he said, over and over. It, it is good. And that's why he wants to redeem it. And that's what the full gospel leads us to, resurrection. Some Christians don't even like the idea of resurrection, because, probably because all we have are tainted versions of eternal life. We have vampires who evidently, interestingly enough, drink blood in order to attain eternal life. But whenever we see vampires represented, it's a lifeless life. It's devoid of meaning with you know, pasty Edwards and lifeless Bellas. And that's even before she was a vampire. We have the walking dead zombies whose, whose bodies are, are far from glorious and who have no cognitive ability to enjoy life. See, fiction simply cannot comprehend or emulate the beauty of the real life resurrection. Only a warped version. And that's what life without Jesus is. It's warped reality. Lifeless life. For Paul, everything that was not Jesus was just something in the way of getting Jesus. Sin got in the way of getting Jesus. So let's get rid of it. Religion got in the way. 
He himself got in the way at times. You hear him struggling with that in some of his letters, especially to the church in Rome. And, and he saw suffering not as something to be rejected, but as something that actually helped him get more Jesus. He didn't see death as something to be afraid of. He just saw it as the last barrier to seeing his Savior face to face, a step through to Jesus. It was, Jesus was worth eradicating everything in his life for, worth losing everything for. See, but today you and I, I don't know, I'll speak for myself, we're very comfortable. And we have an aversion to anything that pushes up against our comfort. And we, we call it an evil if it makes us uncomfortable. We're so comfortable that wearing masks almost brought, brought us to blows with people we loved. I wonder if anyone ever asked Paul if he was comfortable. <laughs> Paul, are you comfortable? I think he maybe would have asked, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> what does that have to do with shaping me and making me more like Jesus? Comfortable. I'm not interested in comfortable. I wonder what kind of work the church can do, what kind of work can happen in us through Christ if we're less concerned with comfortable. Jesus would say, the way of my, my Jesus, Paul would say, the, the way of my Jesus was, was suffering. And so if I want to follow and be like him, I'll pass through the same things gladly. And I'll be glad to do it. Not because I'm a glutton for pain, but because it gives me more Jesus. It helps me identify with him more. In the early 90s, there was a, a string of commercials based around Michael Jordan. And throughout the commercials, there was, there was footage of Michael Jordan playing basketball, flying through the air with his tongue wagging out, of course, uh, making amazing dribbles and passes and dunks as the voices of children and adults alike sang the song, I Want to Be Like Mike. In what can only be described as a worship song. <laughs> I dream that he is me. I want to be like Mike. I want to be like him. But this, what's interesting is the, the secret to being like Mike in the commercial, it wasn't hard work. It wasn't finding out what, uh, what his practice schedule was like and emulating what time does he get up, what kind of food does he eat. It, it wasn't about sweating and pushing through pain to do the slow work of becoming a top athlete. No, all it took, do you remember? Drinking Gatorade. This is easy. I could be like Mike, I just gotta drink Gatorade. Now, now who, who would wanna take the long road of, of difficult hard work when all you have to do is drink Gatorade. Plus, it came in all sorts of delicious flavors. Well, it came in all sorts of delicious colors. I, I couldn't nail down what the actual flavors were. But I can imagine that there were some confused young people, years after these commercials, saying to themselves, I don't get it. I drank Gatorade. I was just like Mike. But my basketball has not improved. <laughs> in fact, I've become less like Mike in, in, in trying to take this shortcut to being like Mike. Christianity is often sold as a simple prayer that gets you in and provides you and I with the kingdom. But, but to con confess Jesus as Lord is really only the doorway to life with and in Christ. And, and many wonder why a simple prayer hasn't changed everything about who they are. Why, why they don't sense the presence of Jesus at times. Paul would say it's the day-to-day -day giving of things over to him. Just like Jordan had to give things over and over day-to-day. Paul would say it's the day-to-day -day willingness to, to live in discomfort and push up against your desires and, and your wants. That's the training for Christians that makes us more like Jesus. The problem with me at times is that I want the results, but I, I don't want to work on my salvation with fear and trembling. I don't want to, to, to pour myself out and empty myself. But the invitation 
To live out and live in the power of the resurrection is a call to the daily handing over of our desires to him, to allow him to be Lord over all of them, our finances, our relationships, our accomplishments. That's where the real work of the gospel is done. But as one scholar had said recently, sadly, many Christians are ready to embrace the victory of Christ's resurrection while at the same time avoid conforming to the cross. And it happens in big and small ways. Sometimes it's a drastic turning around of someone's life, but more often change, conformity to Jesus comes in small everyday decisions to loosen our grip on those things that used to mean everything to us. So that we can say like Paul in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, whatever gain I had, now I count it as loss for the sake of Christ, for his mission. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, of being in a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as garbage, as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Church, I love you. Can't wait to see you face to face. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and may he give you his eternal peace. Amen.